We're wrapping up this six-part series that we've been working our way through called Shaped. We've looked at the different ways that God put together you uniquely and purposefully in order to fulfill the, 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 the direction and the mandate of your life. And we've used this little acrostic shape as a way of getting at the different facets of how God has made you. Spiritual gifts that that endowment that comes into your life when when Jesus Christ takes up residence. Gifts specifically focused in the building up of the kingdom of God in the world. He's given you a heart, the H, the things that you love to do, your passions, your interests, the things that, that make your pulse race and your heart beat. He's given you natural abilities. You've been good at these things, some of them from the moment that you were born. He's given you a personality, uniquely tailored. There's nobody just quite like you with the mix of personality attributes and structures that are in your life. And today we conclude with the experiences that have shaped you into the person you are and how God can use and wants to use those experiences, all of them, the good, the bad, the ugly, and all not just for your own growth, but for the good of others. Before we do that, let's spend a few minutes and let's commit our time to God together in prayer. Father, here we are gathered on this holiday weekend, one where we recognize family. We want to thank you for the families into which we were born. But we recognize that that for some, that wasn't the family that we chose, and, and for some, it hasn't been easy. But this, too, is family, our brothers and sisters Nurturing each other, encouraging each other, building each other up in Christ. And I want to thank you for this family. As we gather now around your word, we pray that the, that the truth of Scripture would join together with the witness of our own lives and allow us to hear from you. So God, tune our ears and make us receptive to your voice and to your leading, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let me give you what I think arguably is the most famous passage in Scripture on the subject of experiences. It's in Romans, in chapter 8, verse 28. Many of you will know this verse. Romans eight twenty-eight says, We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purposes. In fact, it's probably one of the most famous passages in all the Bible. It's also one of the most misused and misunderstood and misapplied passages. So let me tell you first what it doesn't say. It doesn't say that all things work out the way that I want them to. Clearly, that's not the case. It doesn't say that everything has a happy ending here on earth. It doesn't. We live on a fallen planet. So what does it say? Let's let's take it apart. Phrase by phrase, we know, not we guess, we hope, we assume, we wish, we know. As surely as the sun came up this morning, we know this for certain. What is it that we know? We know that in all things, what's included in the word all? Well, the little Greek word there that's translated all means all. Everything, 
All of it. Does that include your stupid mistakes? Yes. Does it include my dumb decisions? Certainly it does. Does that include failures? Yes. Does it include my sins? Yes. Does it include divorce and miscarriage and unemployment and everything else that happens in life? Yes. Bankruptcy? Yes. Cancer? Yes. Everything is included in that little word, all. We know that in all things, God fits it all together into his plans. And certainly not all the things that are happening are good. There's a lot of bad in the world. There's evil in the world. But we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. He works for the good. There is a grand design behind what's happening in your life. There's a designer. Your life isn't an accident. It's not fate. It's not karma. It's it's not random chance. We know that in all things, God is working. What's he working for? For the good. Even in the bad, yes. He loves to bring good out of bad. To to take crucifixions and bring them to resurrections. To take stupid mistakes and make memorable outcomes. We make mistakes. God never does. And he's able to take the ones that we make and transform them. And lastly, it says, God works for the good of those who love him. Now, that may sound hard to hear or harsh, but, but tease it out a little bit. This is not a promise for everyone in the world. If I'm thumbing my nose up at God, if I'm turning my back on God, if I'm pretending to be my own God or that I don't need God, it's pretty hard for God to work in my life, isn't it? And to be clear, God owes me nothing. So when I deny my creator his right to direct my life, when I ignore his purposes, when I do my own thing, everything is not working for the good. In fact, chances are a lot of things are going to turn out badly. Romans 8.28 is a promise to those who love God and who are called according to his purposes. Why? Because this is just the way that God has always worked. He loves to take the mess of my life And make a message out of it. He takes the tests that go on in my life. And and he gives me a testimony. He takes the crisis. And he allows Christ to shine through it. And he can use the bad things in my life. And even bring good out of that. So what I'd like to do this morning. is, Is look at how he does that. God doesn't waste the experiences of your life. How do we keep from wasting the experiences. That I have carried with me up until this point. Three things. You might want to reach for your your orange-colored order of service, and you'll find some notes on the back, three things there. Here's the first. We must somehow learn to embrace the experiences of our lives. The good ones, of course, but the bad ones, yes. The shameful ones, the wrong ones, happy and sad, all of them. We need to stop running from the past if God's going to use it. Listen to what it says in Galatians 3, in verse 4. It says, you've experienced many things. Were all of these experiences wasted? I hope not. Don't run away from your past. Because because of pain, many of us will deny the past or ignore it or discount it or regret it and resent it. Because the past holds so many bad memories, 
Many of us will try and rewrite it. We'll make up little stories about how it was. And the stories may be fiction, but they're happier than the reality. So we live with those and we, we live in denial. And God can't redeem it and he can't use it if we're not honest about it. But God can use every experience in my life for his purposes when we embrace those things. Relational and educational and spiritual and vocational, the jobs that we do, even the painful stuff. Maybe your parents weren't great. Family Day weekend is no picnic for you. Bad memories. Maybe you weren't so hot in school. Maybe you weren't the football captain or prom queen. So what? The experiences of your life are your experiences. You own them, and then God can use them. And in order to use them, you've got to remember them. You stop pushing them out of your mind. You, you remember them. Deuteronomy eleven twelve. The people of God in the Old Testament, they, they had just the, the most amazingly feeble memories. They kept forgetting. And over and over again, the New Testament comes with the command to remember. Deuteronomy eleven twelve. remember everything that you've learned through your experiences. Remember what you've learned about the Lord through your experiences with Him. Remember what you've learned. Remember the lessons that have been there. How do you do that? One of the best ways is to keep a journal. I'm not talking about a diary. A diary just records what you did day by day. Today I went to the store and I bought milk. I don't know. It's just me. I really, Facebook feels like a diary to me much of the time. I don't really need to see a picture of what you just ate at bento sushi. But Facebook is filled with that stuff. Not a diary, a journal. A journal where you write down an important lesson that you've learned in your life. It was painful. I learned this the hard way and I don't want to forget it. And so you write it down. And there might be pages and pages that go by uh, before you write another entry. But write it down. Hindsight isn't always twenty twenty, but it's usually much clearer than foresight. You understand your life better looking back than you do looking forward. Isn't that just true? It makes more sense looking backwards than it did sometimes in the moment. This is what Jesus said. John chapter 13, Jesus replied, You may not realize right now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. And when you've understood... Write it down. Sometimes it's only looking back that it becomes clear. Yeah, now I see what was going on. Now I see what God was doing. Probably the best biblical example of this is Joseph. Remember his story? Everything in his life went wrong for 40 years. All downhill. Nothing went right. He was sold into slavery by his brothers and sisters. He was thrown into jail for a rape that he didn't commit. Everything went wrong. Four decades. And yet in the middle of everything catastrophic, he's able to look back at one juncture in his life and see how God had orchestrated a series of events, taking out of the bad something good, including raising him to a position of authority in Egypt where he'd been sold into bondage and placing him in a situation now where he was in charge of the food supply during days of drought and starvation. And it's on one of those days that he has a chance to meet up with his brothers again, decades later. And you can imagine their surprise when they realize who it is. And the groveling that's going on as they're trying to get just enough food to avoid starvation. And listen to what he says. Genesis 50, verse 20. You intended this 
for harm. But God used it for good. There are things that happened in your life. People intended to hurt you. And they meant it. I'm sorry about that, but but let's not be dishonest about the fact that it happened. They intended it for bad, but God is greater than your problems and your pain, and His purpose is bigger than either of those things, and He means it for good. But the first thing you have to do is embrace it. Get your hands all the way around it. Here's the second thing. You extract the lessons from those experiences in your life. An unexamined life is not worth living. Right? There are people who are 50 years old, but they haven't lived 50 years. They've lived the same year 50 times over. They're making the same mistakes because they never stop and extract the lessons. What is it that happened this past year? And what can I do differently so that next year is not the same as last year? Listen to this verse, 2 Corinthians 13. This is, a, this is kind of an interesting translation. It's called the Amplified Version. I know some of you have said, you know, what version are you working out of? And I, I use a couple of different versions. But the, what they did in the Amplified Version, it doesn't read very clearly, but they said, let's offer every possible meaning of a word when we translate it. So you get these long, cumbersome sentences, but they really pull out. What's behind a verse? 2 Corinthians 13.5, examine and test and evaluate. That's the same word. They're just saying this is what, everything it could mean. Examine and test and evaluate your own selves to see whether you're holding on to your faith. In other words, you've got to extract the lessons. Do you not realize this happens through the ever-increasing experience that Jesus Christ has when he's working in you? I mean, haven't you figured out by now? That you're never alone. That God is with you all the time. That just when you thought you were at the very bottom, most isolated in the world, he was still right there. What does that mean? It means that when you take the time to review the experiences of your life, there are lessons there to be learned. Divine lessons. What do you look for? You look for benefits. You look for patterns. You look for lessons. Think about the benefits. What... What is it that I really enjoyed in my life up until now? You go back and say, I really enjoyed that job. Well, what is it about that job that you really enjoyed? That'll help you understand your shape. I really enjoyed that class, but don't, don't stop there. What is it exactly about that class that I really liked? And you get little clues about where you should be headed in your life, the shape of what you should be. If you examine your experiences and extract the lessons, they're They're a rich treasure trove of information, not just about you, but about God working in you. If you don't examine your experiences, they have no value. Look for patterns. One of the places particularly you want to look for patterns is in your failures. Are there things that I keep tripping up on again and again and again? Why is it that I keep failing in the same place in the same way? So you look for patterns, you look for benefits. The Bible says in Job 32, in verse 7, the longer you live, the wiser you become. I think that verse is a possibility more than it is a promise. Because you know and I know people that are old and dumb. Hmm. Wisdom doesn't automatically come with age, does it? 
It's a possibility, not a promise. Maturity comes when we learn to extract the meaning from the everyday experiences of life. That's what it means to be mature. The amazing thing about the school of experience, actually two things. One is that if you fail the test, it's okay because you're going to get to take it over again and over again and over again. That's the first thing about the school of experience. But here's the second thing. Just when you think you're about to graduate, life sends you another course. All new experiences, and it's going to be that way for the rest of your life. You embrace your experiences. You learn to extract the lessons. And here's the third thing. You find a way to use them, to employ them for the benefit of others. The experiences of your life are not just about you. They are the rich fertilizer into which God will plant seeds that can do a healing work in other people. You're going to use the experiences of your life, good and bad, to help other people. St. Paul, Philippians 1, writing to people in the in the Greek city of Philippi. This is what he says. I want you to know, my friends, I want you to know that all the things that have happened to me have actually helped the progress of the gospel. You see what he's getting at? I want you all to know that all these things that have happened have actually been for your benefit. My experiences have helped nudge this grand work that we're involved in, the spreading of the good news, have helped to nudge it forward. Where is he writing this? What are the things that happened to him? He's been captured. He's been incarcerated, shipwrecked, snake bitten. Now he's thrown into a dungeon. He's handcuffed 24 hours a day to a Roman guard. Roman guard. Now he's saying, all this, all this stuff, all of this, these things that have happened to me, my experiences, they're being used by God for good purposes. The good news is being spread all over Rome because of this. That's a different perspective, isn't it? Instead of just whining and complaining, boy, my life, my life is a cesspool. I cannot believe it. The Bible teaches that God can use your experiences. And we're going to look for the closing amount of our time today at the different ways that God can use them. We're going to look at four of them. The first is they can be used as a powerful way of ministering in the life of other people. Here's a key verse there. In 2 Corinthians, in chapter 1. In our trouble, God has comforted us. And this too is to help you. So that we can show you from our own experience, our personal experience, how God will tenderly comfort you when you undergo these same sufferings. He will give you the strength to endure. The point here is this, that God will take us through problems, will provide comfort, will strengthen us, but then place us in a position so that we can comfort and help and strengthen other people going through the same thing. God blesses so that we can bless. He helps us so that we can help. Use your experiences. Don't waste them. How? Look for opportunities to help people with the very thing that you've just been through. Who better to help somebody going through cancer than somebody who's just been through cancer? Who better to help somebody dealing with addiction than a recovering addict? Who better to help somebody deal with the pain of divorce than someone who's been there and knows what it's like? Or somebody dealing with the pain of rejection or adultery? 
than somebody who's experienced the problem and the pain, the tragedy of those things. Who better to help the parents of a special needs child than parents who have been raising a special needs child? And who better to help somebody through the loss of a loved one than someone who just lost their husband weeks ago? What a moment it was when Sheldon and I arrived at Maud Oregonian's apartment the day after she lost her husband, only to find fast on our heels Josephine Mills, who had just buried Fergus. God can use these things. God never wastes a hurt. I mean, we've said this a hundred times in the church, but God doesn't waste the experiences of your life. He will use them to benefit and bless other people. The thing that you're most embarrassed about, that regret, that injustice, that prejudice or wound or sin, that mistake that you would just like to keep hidden away, the very thing that you're most ashamed of could be your biggest ministry. You always will help people more through your weaknesses than your strengths. I don't know if you realize that, but whenever you try to help somebody out of your strengths, they kind of will say, whoop-de-doo, you're good at it, I'm not, okay. But, but whenever you come and say, you know what? The way you, the way you feel right now, that place where you are, I, th- I think maybe I've kind of been there. And I remember how embarrassed I was, or how in shock I was, or how afraid it felt. You say that, and then you begin to help other people with it. Who could better help somebody who's been through rape, incest, and a survivor of those things? But if you don't use your experiences, they just get wasted. All you get out of them is pain. And God doesn't get to redeem it and use it. I mean, to be clear, there's a lot of things that happen on this planet that God just hates. One of the most poignant moments in the life of Jesus is just when you see him weeping. Weeping over the death of a friend. Weeping over the fate of Jerusalem. Weeping. There are things that that are evil in the world that God hates. But if we refuse to be able to take those things and say, God, you've helped me through that awful season in my life and use them, All you really get out of it is pain. Use your experiences to minister to others. Here's the second thing. You can use them to motivate other people. Your experiences can be inspirational. Why? Because you've been through it and look, you're still standing. You've come out the other side. You've learned something about yourself, about life, about the Lord. Something that you never would have known. And you can use that to motivate other people. This was the primary ministry paradigm of the early church. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says it simply this way. Encourage each other. Help each other out. Build each other up. Motivate each other. Inspire each other. How do you do that? You do that when you share experiences that give people hope. Show them that it can be done. That they'll get through. They can survive. You know, one of the most common fears that people have when they're in the middle of a traumatic situation, they're not coping well, they feel like they're losing their mind. I'm just, I can't cope anymore. I'm going crazy. 
one of the best things you can say is just, you're not crazy. You're not crazy. That's all some people need to hear. You're not crazy. You're under stress, but you're not insane. And then you can share your experience and you can motivate people to push through the barriers in their lives. That's what motivation does, right? It, it gets us through the barrier. Some of you will know the name of Roger Bannister, the first person to, to, break, to break the four-minute mile. And for, for centuries, this had stood as a barrier, right? Everybody said it's not humanly possible. Human anatomy will not allow a human being to run that fast. It's an insurmountable barrier. Yet Bannister did it. And here's the fascinating thing, though. Within 12 months of him doing it, a dozen other people did it. Why? Because suddenly they realized the barrier could be broken. It's not impossible. It could be done. And that experience motivated them to succeed. You have experiences in your life that could be barrier-busting for others. Inspirational, motivational. When you speak from personal experience, it's always much more memorable and vital than just teaching abstractly about principles. Here's a third way that God can use your experiences. They can be used as a model for other people, not just to minister or to motivate, but actually as a model. This is how, how Paul puts it, Philippians 3.17. Dear brothers and sisters, I want you to pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. Notice Paul says, follow my example. I'm going to be a model. Now, we know that, that Jesus is the only perfect model, but you can learn from imperfect models too. In fact, look up the word model in the dictionary. You'll find this. A model is a smaller representation of the real thing. A model car, a model plane, a smaller representation of the real thing. My kids and I were at a, at a media event last summer, and, and there was a 3D printer there that could make a model me. It, it would scan me and they make like a little action figure. Here's the little Pastor Richard with a cape. And, and I said, well, you don't actually need to scan me. You can just use the Brad Pitt body and put my head on it. And there's a, a model of me. But God, God needs models in the world. In fact, that's actually what the word Christian means. It means little Christ. A little representation of the real thing. There's no way you're Jesus, neither am I. We're never going to be perfect. We're flawed, we're imperfect, we're small, but we're models. God says, I need Christians, I need models out there all through the world. Yes, we're imperfect. Yes, we can blow it, but you can still be a model. We need little Christs at work. We need models in the school we need little Christ in the neighborhood. We need models with their boyfriends, their girlfriends, a little Christ in the world. Paul knew that we, we need models. We follow the example of others. So he says, dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. It sounds audacious, but it's not. Paul just understands this is human nature. It's human nature to imitate. Just about everything that you learn by the time you were five years old, you learn by imitation. You saw it, and then you did it. And frankly, I don't mind it when people imitate me, or parts of me, anyway. 
And I love it when they imitate you as models in the world. At least, at least I know that you're making an effort. We're not perfect. I'm not perfect, but you're trying. I'd rather have people follow you as a model than some reality show celebrity obsessed only with their own ego. Paul says, follow the pattern of my life. You ever used a pattern? Some of you have, right? Ruth used patterns in sewing and knitting. Use patterns in, in woodworking. There's nothing wrong with using patterns. It's the quickest way to reduce mistakes and save time and learn better. In fact, if you want to succeed in life, here's one of the very simple lessons. Find somebody who's already where you want to be and learn from the pattern of their life. It's a secret of franchising, isn't it? Find it something that's really effective and we'll duplicate it. And there's subways and Starbucks all over the world because they found something that kind of works. Why was Jesus the greatest teacher in history? Because he modeled his message. He didn't just say it. He lived it out. He, he incarnated the truth. Incarnational teaching. The word became flesh. Jesus' life was his message. And he said, this is how you're going to do it. He taught it, and then he did it, and then he said, this is how you're going to do it, and you're going to model it. John 3.15, John 13.15 said this, I have given you a model to follow. As I have done for you, you should do also. You follow his example, certainly, but, but then you strive to be a model for others. Use your experiences to do that. Here's the last thing. It has to do with mentoring. And I know this is kind of the sweet spot for for Pastor Nathan as he's thinking about the youth ministry. Mentoring, it's it's a far more intentional thing than just ministering to somebody when they're hurting or motivating them when they're down or modeling. Mentoring is actually when you say, I'm going to make a long-term strategic investment in this person's life. A mentor is an experienced, trusted counselor or guide. And actually the word mentor, it comes from, it comes from Homer's poem, The Odyssey. Some of you had to read that in school, The Odyssey. Remember, the king goes off to fight in the Trojan War, and he leaves the kingdom in the hands of a trusted counselor. His name was Mentor. And Mentor teaches and raises the king's son. And together they lead. That's how we get the word mentor. A mentor will always try and help in three areas, in role, in goal, and in soul. It'll help you understand your role. What do you do in life? Help you clarify your goal. What is it that I want to accomplish? And most importantly, your soul. Who is it that I want to be? They help you understand and become who God made you to be. The Bible says in Proverbs 25, in verse 12, a warning or advice given by an experienced person to someone willing to listen is more valuable than gold or jewelry. Those of you who are over 40 in the room, I won't do a hands up on that one. But <laughs> this verse is for you. Job 32, verse 7. Age should speak, and experience should teach wisdom. Are you doing that? 
Are you using your experiences? Are you mentoring anyone? Have you shared what you've learned? Do this. Avoid that. Are you sharing out of the rich treasure trove of experiences in your life? Age should speak and experience should teach wisdom. If you're under 40, you might not even be still awake, but if, if, if you're under 40, here's the verse for you. Job 8, verse 8. Ask the former generation. Pay attention to the experiences of our ancestors. It can save you a lot of pain. You could choose to learn everything in life through experience. And that's a hard road. Or you could learn through the experiences of others. That's mentoring. And to be clear, it it doesn't always work that way. There's grandparents in the room who have grandchildren who absolutely mentor you in the area of technology. You couldn't even turn your phone on without them. But, but in those key areas, goal and role and soul, usually that's the way it works. Age should speak. Experience should teach wisdom. And then those looking upwards, ask the former generation. Pay attention to their experiences. Let me just close with this. I want you to just imagine for a second, if you and and the people who are around you, if everybody in this room and in all of our services, it will happen here through the course of the day, what if we said we are going to combine all of the experiences of our life, everything that God has led us through, and we're going to use them for good? Can you imagine the impact What kind of impact might that have in this part of the GTA? If everybody at MCBC said, we're going to use the experiences that we've got to mentor and model and motivate and minister to people around us. We're not just going to waste these things. We're going to use them for good and for God. What if you prayed, Lord, I offer my life to you, all of it, the best of it and the worst, everything I've been through. Have you done that? The good, the bad? the ugly. You say, well, listen, my life is a shambles. I'm in no position right now. I've got marriage problems. Who hasn't? If you haven't had marriage problems, you haven't had a marriage. You think you haven't had marriage problems, there's a word for you. Liar. (laughs) (laughs) You married a sinner. She married a bigger one. Two sinners don't make a perfect marriage, but we need marriage mentors. We need marriage mentors in the life of our church. Because some of you, you've been through it. You got through the first 10, and then 20, and then 30, and 40, and boy, there are people who are stuck at five, and they need to know that you survived, and there was beauty on the other side. We need marketplace mentors. This is going to be a hard generation for those trying to make their way through career because they're not going to have just one. They're going to have six or seven. It's going to be bumpy. You survived. We need maturity mentors. Week by week, we have people showing up to the church and they're new to the church. They're new in Christ. How do we get them from newness to fullness? 
We need people to mentor them into maturity. We need ministry mentors. People can help out in all those areas of everything in life that, 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 that catches people up and trips them up and holds them down. And, and people come alongside in ministry and say, you know what, I've been there and you'll get through and God will love you in it. We need mission mentors. People will guide the next generation of people out into the world and say, you can be a vibrant presence here. In every area of life, God is saying, don't waste your experiences. They, they're a vital part of your shape. Spiritual gifts, heart, abilities, personality, and experiences. Would you pray with me? You can pray this prayer right now. Lord, I offer my life to you. Everything I've been through. Use it, Lord, for your purposes. Use it for your glory. Lord, I offer my days to you. I, I lift myself up to you in praise as a living sacrifice. Lord, I offer you my life. Jesus, I give you my all in all. In your name I pray. Amen.